Amen. Thank you, Brother JB. Thank you, Brother Micah. And uh, what a blessing to be with Elkdale Baptist Church. Now, if I slip and say Unity Baptist Church, I've been doing an interim in North Otago County for the uh, past 11 months, just finished there a couple of uh, weeks ago. So forgive me if I happen to slip making the adjustment, but uh, I, I've been privileged to know some things about Elkdale through the years. Uh, Jerry Henry, who is your longtime pastor, is a good friend. And then Corey Horton most recently uh, was, uh, had a joy and privilege of getting to know him and, and share life with him, one of the, the great young pastors that were in our state. I know you hate to leave him. Alabama Baptist, we hate uh, to, to lose Corey as well. But he's seeking after God's will. I remember leaving Florida, Florida's home for us, and having to leave uh, my home state some uh, 42 years ago to come to Alabama, down in Enterprise, and then later to Crabble. Uh, it was a difficult decision to make, but it was one that uh, God blessed me, and I know he'll bless Corey, and he'll bless your church as well. God's got someone already picked out. We don't know his name yet, don't know anything about the family. But as time goes on, God's going to reveal that to your search team, and it's going to be an exciting time. Now, we have some other ties. Um, many of you know Wes and Sheridan Cahoon, and uh, they were part of our church uh, in Prattville for many, many years. Mr. Cahoon, of course, is still here in your church, and I uh, had the privilege of being with them, ministering with them, sharing uh, the platform and music with Sheridan and Wes uh, for many years as well, as well as those three most talented, most talented daughters. Uh, Laura Lee uh, grew up here, or Lori Lee grew up here, and her father is Brad. I don't know if he's here in this service or not. Maybe he's going to be in the next service, but I know that she grew up here as well uh, at uh, Elkdale Baptist Church. So again, privileged to be a part and to uh, share life. And I don't know if the gentleman that was playing the mandolin is, is in this service or will be in the later, but I sure appreciate the mandolin, all the instruments, but my dad played the mandolin. And he played it in church as well. And up until about age 86, before he went into the nursing home, he was actually would sit. He, he couldn't get up on the platform. He'd have to sit on the front pew, but he'd play his little mandolin and guitar from time to time. So you made me feel really at home and uh, being a part of your church uh, today. Looking forward to sharing uh, with you uh, this day as well as next Sunday uh, as we share life uh, together. Uh, I know that uh, with the graduates and uh, having that recognition, all the things that uh, we want to keep you on schedule, I'm reminded of a little story of a little boy that uh, went to sleep on his mama's lap while the, while the pastor was preaching. He woke up and he asked his mom, said, is the preacher through yet? And she said, yes, he's through, but he's not finished. So I hope <laughs> to be through and finished at the same time. All right, so open your Bibles with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 11. We're going to be talking about the building blocks for spiritual growth. Graduates, I know this is a special day for you and your parents that are here, those who have taught you all the many years here at Elkdale, and we're so happy and proud for you this next step. In fact, our, we have six grandchildren, our fourth of the, of the six, grandson, he's going through the same thing at First Baptist Prattville today. He's graduating from Prattville High School, and uh, we, we're missing that, but we feel the joy and the privilege of being with you. And I pray that this message will also speak to your hearts as it speaks to all of us today. In this passage of Scripture, we're reminded of Peter talking about how to build a life. Now, folks, I wasn't always, always a pastor. I was in full-time ministry for 45 years. 
in full-time Christian service. And now it's uh, in retirement, filling in, sharing in, in interims, and it's just been a joy. But this, this is all that I, I did in my life. When I was in college, right after my wife and I married in the middle of college experience, I was a bank teller, part-time bank teller. I was also a bill collector, believe it or not, for Sears Roebuck and Company. I, I did it on the telephone, and then later on, they offered me for a little more money to go outside. Then I learned why they offered a little more money, all right? <laughs> but I went outside and, and went door to door and, uh, and collected, uh, collected bills for Sears in West Palm Beach, Florida, and later at seminary at Southwestern. But even before that, uh, I, I worked on, the, on my grandparents' farm. I mean, I was just like a regular farmhand, my sister and I, uh, back before 6th, 7th, and 8th grade those summers in South Georgia. And then when I got big enough, I could work for my dad in construction. My dad was a, a plastering, a plaster contractor. Uh, we did stucco in Central and South Florida where I grew up. We didn't have brick. It was too expensive to get brick down there. So uh, we did a lot of stuccoing and artificial brick and artificial stone. I learned a lot about building in that process. I, I saw how, uh, how a house was built. We did single housing uh, uh, dwellings for the most part. Saw how it was done. Well, Peter is talking about that in this passage of Scripture. He's talking about the process of building your spiritual life, how to grow as a Christian. And so there's uh, four easy points for the message this morning. The first one deals with the materials. Look with me in verse 3 for just a moment. Verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Notice that first phrase. He has given us everything we need for a godly life. God has given us all the materials that we need to build our spiritual life, the godly life. I noticed on the jobs when I would be working with my dad how the contractor and the subs as well would order all their materials. So when it was time for whatever phase of construction was going on, there would be the building materials either on the ground or maybe in, a, uh, in, the, in the carport once the house had been dried in. For us, we needed sand, we needed mortar mix and cement, uh, those kinds of materials. So those were on the ground. I noticed other contractors, they had their materials on the ground. Others, once the house was up, then it was inside. They would place the drywall, the plumbing materials, the electrical lines, all of these things. All the materials were there. Everything that was needed to build a house was made available. Here, Peter is saying the same thing. That God has provided everything that we need to build our spiritual lives. So not only do we have the materials, we also have a good understanding, number two, of the foundation. You've got to have a good foundation. If you're going to build a house, you have to have a strong foundation. If you're going to build a spiritual life, you have to have a good foundation. Notice in verse 5, for this very reason, and he's referring back to something in verse 4, make every effort... To add to your faith. Now let's stop right there. Faith is the foundation. But notice that phrase, make every effort. If you're using a, a King James Version, it says with all diligence. That's how I learned it when I was growing up. With all diligence. That word diligent means to make every effort. To uh, have a sense of urgency. To make haste in what he's about to suggest. We don't have time to dilly-dally around. We don't have time to loaf. We don't need to be complacent about this. We need to make every effort. And he mentions faith. Faith is the foundation. Faith is the foundation. Just like you have a strong foundation for your home, 
for your Christian life, your foundation is your salvation. It's when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is the foundation. We read in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that uh, we are told without faith it is impossible to please God. You have to have faith. But you have to have more than just faith because faith is not enough on its own to have a healthy Christian life. It's the beginning, it's the foundation. But we read in James chapter 2 these words, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So that's why Peter says here, make every effort. There's our part of the salvation experience. Not to be saved, because uh, we are only saved by the grace of God. There's, it's not of works, so as any of us could boast, Ephesians tells us. But it is that once we become Christians, we have a responsibility to put forth effort and growing. And just like a house cannot build itself, there is a process. There are contractors and subcontractors, and everybody's working together to build a house. So it is for your Christian life. You are responsible for making that uh, spiritual growth to take place. You're part of it. God gives you the materials, then you are responsible for building with what he places in your hands. It's kind of like the pyramids in Egypt. You have a good foundation, and then you start adding the building blocks upon, as the Egyptians did with the pyramid, those stones, so it is with us. So number three, let's look at the blocks. In verse 5, 6, and 7, there are seven building blocks for our spiritual growth. Notice the first one is goodness. We are to add onto our foundation, the building of our spiritual life, let's add goodness. Again, some of our Bibles might say virtue. It's talking about moral courage. This is what goodness is, having moral courage. Uh, goodness means that we understand what is right, and then we have the courage to do it. We have the courage to do what is right. One of the things we're lacking in our culture today, lacking in our world, are these moral heroes that know what is right and then do it. We live in a time, we all know that we are challenged. It's not only in the political world, we find it all around us in the social unheaval in our world today that there are people saying, well, what used to be right is now wrong. What was wrong is now right. The Bible talks about, the Bible predicted that, 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 that there would come a day when people would do that. Well, we find ourselves in one of those days where people are saying, hey, right's wrong now, and what was wrong is now right. But what we need are men and women, graduates, we need young men and young women like you that are going to stand up with moral courage and say, that is wrong, what, how the world is going, this is what is right. That's what goodness is all about, is understanding what is right and then doing it, having the courage to stand up, whether anyone else does or not. Notice the second building block is knowledge. We add this building block of knowledge. Knowledge here is speaking not only of understanding God's Word, but applying God's Word as well, and in the knowledge having an intimacy with our Heavenly Father and with Jesus. We need to know what the Bible has to say, but that's not enough, but we do need to know that. Unfortunately, we live in a time when uh, there are many Christians, it's interesting, a majority of Christians don't know who came first, Moses or Abraham. So church, tell me who came first. Abraham, all right? Abraham came first. But there are a lot of Christians out there 
that think maybe Moses came before Abraham. No, Abraham came first. And then there are at least 70% of Christians think this is in the Bible. God helps them to help themselves. If you happen to be in that 70%, you're wrong, all right? That's not in God's Word. Only about 9% of Christians understand what the Great Commission is all about. So we do need to have a basic knowledge and understanding of God's Word. That's why we need to read God's Word, understand God's Word. It is the owner's manual to our spiritual lives. Just like you have an owner's manual when you buy a product, this is the owner's manual for us. But this knowledge is not just enough, uh, it doesn't just concern itself with the truth. What the Bible has to say is the application of that truth. It's applying it to our life. That's how we balance out goodness, to know what we need to be good about and have moral courage about. The Bible supplies that information for us. So you have to have knowledge. But in Genesis chapter 4, you remember that little short verse that talks about Adam and Eve and Adam knew his wife and they had a child. Well, that word know is talking about intimacy. But for us, anytime we talk about knowing God, we're talking about having an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. So you want to have that building block as well. Number three, notice that there is self-control. Self-control is the third block that we need to add to our foundation. Having self-control. When we think of self-control, we're talking about being able to, to hold still, to kind of hold back until it's the right time to move. Self-control. Arlinda and I, we um, went to University of Florida as, as freshmen. She was a year ahead of me, and then I went up later the next year, and she was a member uh, of First Baptist Gainesville. That's where she attended. I attended North Central Baptist Church, and, and uh, while she was in uh, First Baptist, she had a pastor that had a little dog. I, I don't remember what kind of dog it was, what breed, but he called the, he called the dog Deacon, all right? I'm not sure what, what that meant, all right, but he called the dog Deacon. We had Deacon trained, and he would uh, give that little dog a, a treat, and he would put it on his, on his foot or on his shoe, and the dog would be across the room, and he'd look over Deacon and said, Deacon, it's not blessed yet. It's not blessed yet. Deacon would be, you know, just waiting to, waiting to go and get that little treat. Then finally, the pastor would say, Deacon, it's blessed. That dog would scurry over there and get that little doggy treat. Self-control. The little dog had self-control. The word self-control was used of sailors when they would be sailing at night, all right? And they would use the North Star as, uh, as their reference point. And no matter how uh, hard the winds might blow or the waves uh, might come and roll that ship around, they always stay true to the North Star. That's what self-control is. It's holding still. It's staying the course. No matter what is happening, it's going to stay the course, and so you have that kind of self-control in your life where you're holding still. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32, it says, Better a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Proverbs 25, 28, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. We've got to hold still. We don't jump the gun like a... Uh, like a, a runner that's crouched down and, he's, and he's, he's, the race is about to begin and he's in the runner's block and, and he's holding still until he hears the gun. You don't want to jump the gun. Self-control is that. So let's think, your, uh, think about your temper. 
are, are you in control of your temper or do you jump the gun with your temper? What, a, what, what about other temptations that you might have to face? Maybe gossip. Maybe, maybe it has to do with your tongue. Maybe lying. It may be some addiction that there's a temptation for. Maybe it's gambling and, and, and maybe it, it is alcohol or drugs or, or some sort of sexual temptation. Are you holding still? That's what self-control is about. We need self-control on the, as we build our spiritual life, as we grow spiritually. The fourth one is perseverance. Notice in verse 6, perseverance. We've got to persevere. When we think of the word perseverance, often our Bibles use the word patience. But patience speaks about passively waiting. And we can get impatient, uh, waiting in line, may, maybe at the grocery store or some of the place, uh, maybe a traffic light. And, and so you, you become impatient, but that's kind of passive. Here, it is speaking of something that is very active when we talk about patience, when we talk about perseverance. Here, the idea is just holding back. A little different than self-control, controlling your emotions, controlling temper, and controlling your, your tongue. Here, the perseverance is staying the course for a long period of time. When you persevere, there are no shortcuts. You know how you gain perseverance? It's by trials or tribulations. In the book of James, we read this, James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. For those who are older in this congregation, you, you will remember many years ago, there was a commercial done by John Cameron Swayze. It was for Timex watches. And what they did, they took a Timex watch, watch and they tied it onto a boat motor, and that, that boat and that motor rode around a lake for two hours. And then when it came back, uh, uh, to the landing, they took that watch and Cameron, uh, John Cameron Swayze looked at it and says, uh, this watch is taking a licking, but it's kept on ticking. All right? It took a licking, but it's kept on ticking. It must have worked. In the 1950s, two out of three watches were Timex watches. Folks, perseverance. That, that's what God wants of us. We take lickings. There, there are some hard things that happen in our life. But we keep on, and we don't quit. We keep on because God wants us to be faithful to Him. No matter what is happening in the circumstances of our life, we stay true to Him. We stay true, and we are faithful to what He has for us. Now, that fifth block is godliness. So here we go. We have goodness, and we have knowledge, and self-control, and perseverance. But what we need now is godliness. Now, some of you may be thinking, godliness, how can, how can you be godly? I mean, none of us can be God. That's true. None of us can be God. But what it's speaking of here is the idea of godliness of being Christ-like. It's being more and more like Jesus. That's what godliness is speaking here. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, we are ambassadors for Christ. The word godliness here is talking about being an ambassador. It's talking about acting like royalty. One of my favorite movies, it's in my top three movies, is The, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia series. And there you see the, the, the four children of Adam. They are kings and queens in the kingdom of Narnia. You are kings and queens in the kingdom of God. 
Ephesians 1 already says that. It's as if you are sitting on the throne already of God. You just haven't arrived there yet, but you are kings and queens, and you are to act like kings and queens. You are to act like royalty. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are to be the royal people that are representing our king. I was an Ari growing up. Some of, the, some of you here remember uh, the, the, the organization way back there called Sunbeams. That, that was the pre-mission friends. And I was one of those Sunbeams. But I became an RA. Arlinda was a, was a GA. And we came up and studied missions. But I love being a royal ambassador. I learned what it was to, to be one of God's ambassadors in this world. We're all to be that. We're to act like royalty. An ambassador goes to another country and he is to represent his king. He's to represent his government. You and I are to represent the government of the Lord Jesus Christ. His kingdom that is here on earth like it is in heaven. We are to establish that kingdom here on earth. So we are to be his ambassadors in this world of ours. And so we are to act godly. We are to take on the personality of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's another way of saying that, uh, what we are supposed to be. In Romans chapter 8 we read, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. The likeness of His Son. We're to be Christ-like. And we're to take on His personality. And we are to live like Jesus in this world. This is the part of our salvation experience. Paul would say in Philippians that we are to work out our salvation. That doesn't mean that we do our part to be saved. We're saved the moment we say yes to Jesus Christ. But it is to say that our part, this effort, again, making all effort, then we continue to strive to be like Christ. A first grade Sunday school class, the teacher asked the students, draw a picture of what God looks like. And so the students began to do that, and the teacher started recognizing the students. What did you do? And one of them drew a rainbow. To her, that's, that reminded her of God, what God was like. Uh, for another one, it was a bright light. And that was their idea of what God was like. Another one, it was Superman. They thought God was most like Superman. But one little girl drew a picture of her dad and said, He reminds me of God. She got it right. She was only a first grader. But she got it right. Her dad reminded her of God. Every one of us ought to be reminding somebody of God in our world. Now let's look at the sixth building block. And that is kindness in verse 7. Some of your Bibles may say uh, mutual affection or brotherly affection or brotherly love. The idea there is kindness. We're to be kind to one another. The, the Greek word there is Philadelphos, which is we get the word Philadelphia from the city of brotherly love. We're to treat people as if they are members of our own family. In Ephesians 4, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be kind, be compassionate, be forgiving. That's what kindness is all about. Just like Christ has been to us. Folks, I did not deserve God's mercy. We, we heard words, uh, goodness, love, and mercy up here shall follow us all the days of our life. Listen, folks, I don't deserve God's goodness. I don't deserve His love. I don't deserve His mercy. But I have all of that because of His grace. 
And his love for me, I have that. Why shouldn't I be kind to other people? Because God's been kind to me. I need to be this way to other people as well that is out in this world. Kindness is an understanding that we are sharing God's testimony in this world. In fact, it's one of the proofs that we really are saved. And that people will believe our testimony when we show kindness to them. In fact, more people have been won to Christ by kindness than by sermons, than by books that have been written, and debates. All put together. More people are saved by kindness. That they see something inside of you that is God-like, as we shared a moment ago. But you are sharing with them in an experience of life. That's why we need to have intentional kindnesses showing this to other people. Now lastly... In verse 7, we see love. The building block of love. Interesting, Paul, when he's mentioning the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, he starts with love. Love is the motivation for all the other fruit of the Spirit. Peter takes a little different direction. And as you are building the spiritual life, then love is the apex. It's the very top. Of all the experiences that we can have, it's the very top. This word love here is agape. Agape love. It's God's kind of love. It's understanding that our love needs to be sacrificial. John chapter 13 says, A new commandment I give unto you, love one another, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. That Greek word there is agape. When you sacrifice for each other. We're not talking about the kindnesses we do to people in the world. We're talking about what you do to each other. You're showing God's sacrificial love when you love the brothers and the sisters in the family of God. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said, Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. The greatest of these is love. One of you students, that was your... Your life verse was your life verse. And so it should be for all of us that we understand this love that comes from God that we are to give to each other. And what that means is that you and I cannot hold grudges against each other. We just can't do it. The Bible says you can't love God and hate your brother. And he's talking about Christians. We're not talking about the unbelievers out there. We're talking about Christians. That we are to love one another and to share. And we cannot have those kinds of attitudes toward each other. Matthew 5, 23 says, If you enter your place of worship and you're about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to uh, this friend. Make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Another way of saying this has to do with choosing to please other people before you please yourself. The interests of others before yourself. Their desires before your desires. And when it comes to the grudges, get rid of them. It will hinder your walk with God. Now let's look number four. Let's look at verses 8 through 11 quickly. For here we find the guarantee and the reward. Verse 8, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, notice it says increasing, increasing measure, and what that means is 
You may be doing fine right now with goodness, but you're having a problem with perseverance. You may be fine with self-control, but you're having issues with brotherly affection, with kindness. But if you will continue to work and recognize that sometimes there are some lulls, but you keep moving up and up more and more like Jesus, even though there may be two steps forward and one step back, he says to those people, if you possess these qualities and you're increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blinded, forgetting that they have been cleansed from the past. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Folks, again, these are the signs that people know you're children of God. It confirms your salvation. And then he closes by saying, And you will receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of God. Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A rich welcome. I, I know you've heard it before. We, we read about it in Matthew 25. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I mean, isn't that what we all want when we get to the kingdom of God? Welcome into the kingdom of God. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Here it says, you'll be richly welcomed. Richly welcomed. When you grow in these areas. Now let's, let's close it out. Let me ask you a question. Are you making every effort in building your spiritual life? Are you making every effort in your spiritual growth? Can you see yourself continuing to increase in measure in each of these areas? There's a, a story John Piper tells about Glenda and Robert. They were on a boat. They were out in the middle of the ocean. Glenda decides to take a swim. And so she dives into the ocean, but she didn't realize the current was so strong. And the current began to pull her away from the boat without even thinking. Robert jumped in. And he also got caught up in that current. And they're being pulled away from their boat. Finally, wisely, he said to his wife, he said, honey, you, you just float. You just drift with the current. I'm going to keep swimming against the current so that I keep the boat in view. Six hours later, the current changed and he was able to swim easily back to the boat. Exhausted by the time he got there, but he got to the boat. Then he went looking for her. He couldn't find her. Darkness came. Coast Guard, the next morning, started the search. And they found his wife. She was still floating. She was alive, thank God. But she was 15 miles away from the original spot. Now, here's the application. We live in a culture and a day. And it's always been this way, but more so now. We have got to swim against the culture. We have got to swim against the culture. We can't just drift and float along. Because the culture will take your goodness away from you. It'll take your knowledge away from you. It'll take your self-control away from you. It'll take your perseverance away from you. It'll take your godliness away from you. It'll take your kindness away from you. And it'll take the love of God away from you. It will do that. You have to swim against that current. In his book, John Steinbeck tells the story, the, the leader of the people. It was back in the Western days, the Western movement, a man led a wagon train all the way across the Midwest, the West, to the Pacific Ocean. So successful. He was so successful. But once he got to the West Coast, that was it. That was it. He went around telling the people the rest of his life 
about that one experience. Yes, he was a hero. He fought off the Indians. I mean, he helped that, that wagon train for them to survive and get across. He did it all, but he spent the rest of his life talking about that one event. His son-in-law, Carl, would talk about how boring it was hearing that story over and over and over again. He said, for my father-in-law, that was the highest point of his life. When was the highest point in your life? Was it when you were that football player in high school, that cheerleader in high school? You were valedictorian in your class? What's the highest point for you? Was it when you finished college and maybe that first job? You look way back there. And that was the highest point. But a more penetrating question is, what about your spiritual life? When was the highest point spiritually for you? Was it when you became a Christian? When you were just a child or a teenager? Was it when you grew and, and learned so much about the Bible? You had a wonderful student minister and Sunday school teachers and people that just loved you. Was that the highest point? Was it when you are in college and you were part of a, an experience there? When was the highest point spiritually? Was it 40 years ago, 30, 20, 10, 5? The question is, when should be the highest point of your spiritual life? And the answer is right now. Right now. Right now. This should be the highest point spiritually for you. Let's pray. As your heads are bowed, if this is not the highest point, begin to think about these building blocks. What's the problem? You've heard the truth. You've heard it preached. You've heard it explained. There's no excuse now. Begin to make this your highest spiritual point of your life. And continue to increase in measure, as Peter says. One man said he never met a Christian that planned on being a mediocre Christian, but he's met plenty of mediocre Christians it's time to stop being a mediocre Christian begin to make this your highest point of your life and use these building blocks for spiritual growth to get you there Father it's our prayer and our hope that we will see this as a catalyst for our lives for these graduates as they are launching into a new life a new time period a celebration time but a whole new season of life for any of us. May we see that we need to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge as Peter summarizes his teaching in 2 Peter. Father, if there's one here who doesn't know Jesus, this sermon may not have made as much sense. This message may have not made as much sense to them. But they may they sense there's something that they want more in their life than they've had. But they have to understand it starts with Jesus. It starts with a decision to follow him. May they make that decision today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.